0: Thank you.
1: got a few announcements today. Um, In our bulletin, of course, we have our church business meeting will be on Saturday, November the 2nd at 1 p.m., and then we are going to modify our time for choir rehearsal on next Saturday, and we're going to move it back to 11.30. Amen. And also, want to make mish, mention of um, if you have trash or anything um, in the morning here, um, instead of putting it in the areas where the books are, we've got some trash cans around the, around the church to put that in as well. Because a lot of times we may miss that because of it being in that place. Amen? Amen. Amen. And on next Saturday at 1045, Um, New Zion's mission will be down at um, Swope Bridge Geriatric Center at 1045 for our monthly um, time of worship with those who are in the nursing home. Amen. And it's a glorious time uh, with Sister Elvira Collins and and all the rest of the members that come along with us. We have a great time and I encourage more of us to come. Um, I'm sure that the people there would love to see even more of New Zion. Amen. Amen. Just have a wonderful time in the Lord. Amen. Amen. And also want to make mention that uh, on second Sunday at three o'clock, um, Pastor Nichols and the church Mount Horb will be our guests at 3 p.m. Amen. 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 And I believe that's the Usher's anniversary. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. I think that's it for our announcements. Amen. All right. Is is everyone ready for the word? Amen. 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 Well, let us go to the epistle, to the first epistle to the Corinthians. Chapter 13. And we'll be at verse 5. The first epistle to the Corinthians, chapter 13, starting at verse 5. Amen. And may we all stand for the reading of God's word. The first epistle to the Corinthians, chapter 13, starting at verse 5. These words are in reference to love. So love does not behave rudely. Love does not seek its own. Love is not provoked. And love Thinks no evil. Amen. And for a few moments, I want to speak with you from the thought. What does love have to do with it? Part three. What does love have to do with it? Part three. It is interesting that this passage of Scripture dealing with love is so heavy. It is heavy because humans don't naturally love. And I say naturally because without the love of God shed in our hearts, Love is most difficult when you see it in the light of what God considers love. Now there is a romantic love, a ooey gooey kind of love that we have a man for a woman that's prevalent and plentiful throughout the world. But that's not the love that saved. And that's not the love that attracts people to Christ. That love ends in romantic interludes and affairs and children at times, but it doesn't end in salvation. But only this love can reach the hilltops of salvation. Only this love. So today, as we get ready to dig into this text, we want to review the context in which it is placed. We realize that in chapter 12 that Paul was arguing for unity in the body of Christ. He was arguing for those who were gifted not to single themselves out and try to act as if they could stand all by themselves. Or for those who swung the pendulum the other way and said we all should be one thing. We all should be gifted in one area. Because one of the problems that the church at Corinth was having was the problems of the gift of tongues. There were so many in those congregations that wanted to speak in tongues and that they would try to outdo each other speaking in tongues. They saw tongues as the gift that everybody should have, everybody should go for. But Paul contended that everybody's not going to have that gift. But just because you don't have that gift does not mean you're less honorable of those who do. But in some ways, he said those who have the gifts that are not in the limelight are more honorable of those that do. Those who are great preachers and teachers and gifts of tongues and they are oracles of God, even though they have those great gifts, that they're not more honorable than those who have the gift of administration and the gift of helps. But then he goes on to say, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all those who speak in tongues, are all those who work miracles, are all those who discern, No. But he says, y'all are going for the wrong thing. He says, y'all are all fighting to have the greatest gifts in your sight. But you're going for the wrong thing. It's almost like a young man who was playing basketball or sandlot ball out in the streets. And they only had one goal. And so the opponent's team and their team were both shooting in that same goal. But as they grew and they went into organized sports and athletics and began to play basketball on the school team, they began to play and and as they were playing in the game, at some point this basketball player stole the ball. And then he went and shot the ball into the opponent's goal. He felt so good about himself because he had just made two points. But the coach screamed to him, what are you doing? He says, I'm making a basket coach. But the coach says, it's in the wrong goal. See, that's what happens to us when we try to go after the wrong things in the family of God. We're running after gifts. But we should be running after something else. And in running after those gifts, we end up shooting in the wrong goal. instead of scoring for the home team, we end up scoring for the opponents. Instead of scoring for our congregations and our loved ones, we end up scoring for the enemy. Because we have separated ourselves out of gifts. But Paul goes on to say, Don't go for that, but go for a more excellent way. A more excellent way that he says is love. And Paul goes on to contend that no matter how you sacrifice, whether you give all of your goods or whether you put your body up to be burned, if it has not love, then it's useless. So all that we do in the church, when we sing and when we play the instruments and when we serve in financial committees and when we serve on the usher board, when we teach and take care of the children in the nursery, we can do all of that faithful, but if it doesn't have love, it's meaningless. It counts for nothing. It's as if we're shooting in the wrong goal. And so today we are continuing to look at what love really is. We're continuing to look at love is just not a noun but it's a verb. It's an action word. Because love cannot stand just on fact but it stands on action. We must not be just hearers of the word but doers as well. And on last week, as we were studying verse 4, I asked that we meditate over that and try to apply it to our lives. Because I know love is a difficulty for human beings. We're always being challenged in one way or another not to love. But the Bible allows us to see that love is a commandment of God and God does not command anything of us that we cannot do Amen. those of us who have been called out who are the children of God have someone on the inside that when we're knocked down we can get back up when we're put in a situation to be unloving we can love and it is his Holy Spirit He on the inside is greater than he is in the world. No matter how Satan tries to set up obstacles to cause us to be unloving, there's one inside of us who gives us the power to overcome and become loving. No matter what the situation may be. And so when we look at the scriptures, it's not about head knowledge. It's not about getting a lot of facts. Sometimes we rush through scripture trying to get so much knowledge, but knowledge in itself is nothing. It's not just in the making of pudding, but it's in the eating. It's in the experience of doing it. So today we're slowing this thing down in this study and we're taking love and dissecting it. We're allowing us time to look at the words of scripture regarding love so that we can live it. The word of God was given to us so that we may live it, not just hear it. God has created a world for us that the only way that we can enter in is we enter in love. And so today we began to look at verse 5 and dissect the different components of love that Paul delineates in this text. First of all, it starts with the fact that love does not behave rudely. Love does not behave rudely. The idea of rude behavior in this context, is the idea of forcing oneself on another. One of those very ideas from a sexual standpoint is rape. One person forces what they want on someone else who does not want it. A man forcing himself on a woman and takes intimacy from her that she doesn't want to give. Rudely, This here is a, a forcing of oneself. But in the context of the church, it could be as vile as rape. And it could be of wanting our own way. But love doesn't just look at our own way, but looks at what's best for somebody else. Sometimes we get our minds made up that we want things to go a certain way and we are willing to run over our brother and sister in order to get it done. That's not love. Because in this New King James translation it's behaving rudely forcing oneself on another. Sometimes we even believe that which we think is right is right. We are convinced by all practical purposes that what we're doing is right and we want it so bad that we're willing to run over our brother and sister to get it. But the Bible says the essentials is unity. The non-essentials are liberty. When we act rudely, we're taking a liberty that has not really been given. Because we have violated unity. It's all about being the body of Christ. And if you are trying to get your way so much that you're hurting your brother or sister, you are in violation of love. I don't care if it does mean that it's something that you hold to be so right. If you've got to hurt your brother or sister in order to do it, then it's not love. I'm not saying that we don't confront our brothers and sisters, but I'm talking about these things that we want for ourselves, that we believe is right, and that does not have a basis in the word, but we run over one another trying to get it done. Sometimes worship styles becomes a place where we behave rudely. We just got to have worship the way we want it with the certain instruments that we want to have. And anybody else who wants anything else, they're in for a fight. Some people don't like drums. Some people don't like the wind, wind instruments. And so fights break out because I don't like that. And I don't think that should be in the house of God. Even though they think in all of their thoughts and mindsets that that is... And that they heard their brothers and sisters who play It's not with love. Sometimes we, we get ourselves in positions of doctrine. And things that we believe about the word. And so instead of debating it civilly, sometimes reach points of aggression. That's what the concept of higher Calvinism is all about today and what was going on in Geneva under Calvin. There were people who were saying, it's election or nothing else. And everybody who tried to talk about free will was burned at the stake. That's acting rudely. That's not love. Even though they felt so solid about the doctrine of the word of God, but they killed their brothers and sisters because they disagreed. They force themselves on one another, but that's not love. So we have got to learn how to be patient with one another and not to step beyond bounds that have not been given to us. Sometimes we think we understand how ministry should be done. Sometimes we understand that which we grew up in is the only way that it needs to be done. And when we see something else, we put our mouth on it. We talk crazy about it and we tell other people that it's some kind of cult. But have we helped God by doing that? Have, do we really understand everything about God and ministry enough to cause problems with our brother because they do things a little different? Our church is a more conservative church. There are other churches that are more liberal. But just because they're liberal does not mean they're wrong. And we have to be careful because we can learn things from them and they can learn things for us. But we got to do it in love. If we're acting rudely, we'll never be able to cross the divide that will bring us together. But not only is it externally, but internally too. There are divides in here. And we've got to be careful not to create divides because we think we've got it all together. And even if we're right, Paul says in the 6th chapter of 1 Corinthians, sometimes we ought to be wronged for the right. In other words, sometimes we ought to take on some wrong so that we can stay unified. Sometimes we might have to apologize for something that we don't necessarily believe that we did wrong, but it's because we want to keep our relationship with our brothers and sisters. It's about loving one another. And through love, you don't know what will happen. When you show real love, the person that you feel like is in error may come out of that error because you loved them first and didn't condemn them, didn't separate from them, didn't act rudely toward them. It's all about love. Paul says, I show you a more excellent way. In this text, we see that it says that love does not seek its own. Love not seeking its own is a lot like rude behavior because seeking its own is saying me first. I always got to be first in line, I always got to get the first thing. I mean, after all, it's all about me. I'm seeking my own. I mean, dinner is served and I'm mad because. I didn't get it fast enough. The room's not warm enough for me. I know everybody else is comfortable, but it's all about me first. So if they burn up, so be it. Because it's all about me. But is that love? No, not really. So what the whole congregation may like A particular instrument. But I don't like it. And I've got some power around there. So I'm going to keep it from happening. Because it's all about what? Me. Me first. Forget everybody else. When I get to church. It's not about. How I can help somebody else. But what's in it for. Me. See. What happens in the culture that we live in is we live in a me first culture. But the culture that we live is not the kingdom of God. And what we do is we allow the culture to bleed into the church and become tenants of the gospel of the kingdom. And that's wrong. He who is first will become last. And he who's last will become first. So as loving Christians, we ought to be able to look at one another and look at opportunities in which we can let somebody else get before ourselves. When we come in for worship, we come in for assembly, can we look around and say, is there anything I can do for somebody else? Because it's not all about me. I wasn't left here on this earth for it to be all about me. God saved me and left me here to be a blessing to somebody else. Amen. We've already seen that that is the whole idea behind the gifts. The gifts that God has given us is to edify the church. Amen. But when we get this me first mentality, right. the body of Christ suffers. Yes, it suffers because it's all about me, it's all about me coming and showing off my gifts, it's all about me coming and getting what I think is for me. And then we have people who come to church because it's all about them, and they begin to hear a message and they say, Well, this message doesn't apply to me, and they get their hats and their coats and their purses, and they're out of here because after all, it's all about me. But I contend today to ask the question. What if that word was for you to give to somebody else? And you missed it because you left and the person who needed it was outside the door. So what is not relevant to you, but it could be for you to get to give to somebody else. But you will only have that mentality when it's not all about me. We have to be careful as believers, to not get into this me mentality. Because it's easy because the world is constantly saying to us what we deserve. We deserve this. And you deserve that. You deserve the new house. You deserve the fancy car. You deserve the better banking account. You deserve the better services. You deserve the better food. It's all about me. And this world caters to that because it's in us. But the church says, I deserve the latter. I deserve the lesser to give to those and give them the greater. It's not all about us. It's all about him. And having all about him makes it all about them. Remember early on in August when I talked about the church as being the only organization that is organized for the benefit of its non-members. Remember that a lot of time, because we're used to country clubs and all this other stuff that we get involved with, that we're looking for membership and its benefits. I mean, American Express talks about it all the time. It says membership has its benefits. But I'm here to contend for the church and its membership, it's all about benefit the non-members. We come together and encourage ourselves and edify ourselves that we can go out into the world and tell a dark and dismal world about the truth and the good news of Jesus Christ. We go out into the world to feed the hungry. We go out into the world to help heal the sick. We go out into the world to do the things that Christ would have us to do, not for us inside, but for those outside. Those who are on the inside that are membership have already been blessed with all great things, having the Holy Spirit and have the riches of God made accessible to us is that we go outside and take care of those who are without So they can become one of those who are within. But we can't do that if it's all about me. So we look at our text. And we say that love is not provoked. The idea of love not being provoked is the idea that love doesn't fly off the handle. Every time a little something is said or a little something is done, I mean, we blow up and, and we have a fit over a word said here or a word said there. Over the fact that my announcement wasn't named or, or, or my event wasn't brought up, somebody may have just forgotten. But even if they did, there's no reason to start spitting venom. Start tearing other folks down because something, me first, has happened. Love doesn't do that. Love doesn't fly off the handle like that. Love sees beyond our faults and see the need. The fault may very well mean, mean that somebody forgot. Or even if they did it intentionally, it's a fault of sin. But every one of us are sinners, aren't we? Saved by grace. So if we see our own condition, we ought to be able to see it in somebody else. Hang it off of patience. Give them some time. Talk with them and tell them, you know, ask them, say, you know, whatever happened, whatever they didn't say or whatever they did do, talk with them about it in a spirit of meekness. And you may just find out they just forgot or they did something and they didn't even know that it was to hurt you. But if we fly off the handle every time something happens, we all we do is create a more and more environment of hostility. An environment where love cannot dwell. We got to be patient with one another. None of us are perfect. None of us are. So we got to be entitled to make some mistakes. Whether it was on purpose or not. But let us love one another. Let us... Let us not jump off the handle and start talking crazy to one another and start talking behind each other's back with anger and venom. Slow it down. Process it for a while and go to the person. You don't know why it happened. And just maybe, just maybe, while you believe that the thing that you are upset with them about is wrong, they may hear you when you go to them with it and say, you know you're right. I'll make that change. But you don't know if you're going to fly off the handle. Now, if you go to them, cussing them out or talking crazy or, you know, yelling at them, they're not going to hear from you. That's why we have to be meek. Our power must be under control. I mean, who's going to listen to you on a tirade, yelling and screaming and saying all kind of explicatives to them, trying to get them to do something? Nobody. They're going to reject it with a bad attitude. You know, rolling our eyes. Nobody's want to hear that. And that's not love. So we got to get back to love, children of God. Because by the love that we show one another, the world will know that we are Jesus' disciples. That's the only way. Any other way, we might as well be in the world. Amen? Amen. Lastly, here in verse 5. Thinks no evil. This is an interesting term. Because in the Greek, what this really means is it does not do accounting of evil. It does not do accounting of evil. It does not make a tick every time you do wrong. It does not make another tick the next time you do wrong. It's the whole idea that love doesn't look at your brother or sister and say, you know, I saw you do that yesterday and I'm going to keep this in mind. I saw you lie yesterday or I saw you curse yesterday and I'm going to bring it back up. Anytime that you do something that I don't like, I'm going to bring back them sins to you. I saw you the other day when you were taking a drink and I saw you when you got drunk. And I'm going to bring that back up. Anytime you do something that I don't like. Thinking evil. Accounting of evil. It's constantly looking for ways to find the other folks doing something wrong. So that you've got something on them. That any time something goes down that you don't like, even if they're confronting you about your sin, then you come back to them and tell them about all the sin that you have seen in them. But that ain't love. Love doesn't think evil. Love doesn't set up an account and tries to itemize all of the time that your brother has done wrong for the specific purpose of using it to tear them down at some point in time or defend yourself at another. That's not love. Because if that was love, none of us would be here today. Because over the generations of humanity, including our own, God has seen many ticks in our lives. But even though through the annals of time that God saw us before we knew ourselves, he still sent his only begotten son to die for you and for me. Thousands of years of aggression, thousands of years of sin and iniquity had gone through, and yet, still at the appointed time, He sent His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to save a sin sick world. So, when we look at doing the work of loving, we can't look past Jesus, the one who loved us so much that while we were yet sinners. He died. While we were screaming accusations of fanatic and heretic, he allowed them to put nails in his hands and nails in his feet. He allowed them to put him up between two thieves because of his love. He loved us so much that They put him on that cross and he stayed on that cross from the third to the ninth hour. That's love. Because Jesus could have called a legion of angels and they would have came and taken him down and destroyed all mankind. But he didn't say a mumbling word because that's love. He didn't act rudely. He didn't seek his own because that's love. He didn't account to us all of our sins and say you are too sinful so I ain't going to die for you. Because that's not love. But love kept him on the cross regardless of the number of our sins. And he died. He died one Friday evening on outside of Jerusalem walls in a place called Gargotha. Because that's love. That's love because he gave For those who did not love him. He says no greater love is this. That one would lay down his life for a friend. But the greater love I contend is greater. That he laid it down for those who were unfriendly toward him. While we were spurring accusations against him. He died. They took him off of that cross. And they put him in a borrowed tomb. He was in that grave. All night Friday. He was in that grave all day Saturday. He was in that grave all night Saturday night. Because that's love. That's love that he died for us. The Bible allows us to see that when he was buried, our sins were buried with him. And cast as far as the east is from the west into the sea of forgetfulness because he was thinking no evil. He was not accounting our evil, but he cast it away to never be brought up again. That's love. And love kept him in that grave for three days and three nights. And then love from heaven reached down and called him out of it and raised him up into the new life in which Jesus Christ himself glorified, that's love. That's love that after a 40-day layover, he stepped out on a cloud and went back to glory, now sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you and for me. When old Ann Butler sins, he looks at the Father and says, but I died for him. That's love. When you sin, he looks at the Father and says, but I died for him. That's love. So that great love that he has given us, surely we ought to be able to love one another. And it's love that when we were saved, that he gave us his precious Holy Spirit, that would rest, rule, and abide in us and give us power to overcome the sins of the world. That's love. So having so many great things in love done for us, what kind of task is it for us to love one another? Understanding that each one of us is a sinner saved by grace. But we need to love one another. Because one of these days, he's coming back for a church without spot or blemish. Who will he find faithful and love? Who will he find loving one another and loving a world? he find praying for one another and praying for those who persecute one another? Who will he find living in love? And so at this time I open the doors of the church. If there's someone here who does not know Jesus in the pardoning of their sins and wants to experience this great love that comes from God and God alone You can come today. You can come just as you are. You don't have to clean yourself up because God will do the cleaning in you. He loves you so much that he died for you. You can come today. He is the one. Amen. Amen. if you don't know him in the pardoning of your sins you come while the blood is running warm in your veins you come you can come also by letter from another church or by Christian experience you can come today God is willing and he's able to save he's in the saving business he's in the love business and he wants to show love through us. Yes, amen. Today is the day of salvation. Amen. Why don't you come today? Amen. There
0: So we've been here. So I just want to thank the church Amen. for our family and
1: accepting us as a family. Amen. Amen. So I just want to come out and I guess we're all the rest of you guys. Yes, sir. Man. We're from Louisiana, so it's a pastor. Yes. Sir. And it's just here making a difference. All right.
0: of light like years.
1: try this. and see way I go. Amen.